This is Paul Aronowitz from Mountain Lion Podcasting Studio in Sacramento, California, where I work at UC Davis School of Medicine in the Department of Internal Medicine. So we have some exciting podcasts coming your way over the next several weeks, and this is the kickoff of one of those podcasts. This is an interview with Dr. Justin Bullock, who, believe it or not, is a first-year internal medicine resident. And I say believe it or not because he is doing such amazing work. And as you'll hear in the intro to the podcast, he's just an all-around talented guy and uh, I think has a very bright and brilliant future ahead of him. So we're going to hear about In Pursuit of Honors, which is a publication he had in November 2019, Academic Medicine, uh, in collaboration with his mentors over at UCSF, uh, Dr. Karen Hauer and others. Uh, Very excited to have a chance to catch up with him. Uh, The sound is not perfect because we had to record off his uh, cell phone on a, a... rare day off for Justin during internship, so I greatly appreciate his efforts. The other podcasts that are coming your way, I will probably wait about a week or so to post the next one, which will be an interview with Dr. Lou Pangaro. Uh, Don't think Dr. Pangaro uh, needs much introducing. He is a very, very well-known figure in the area of medical education and beyond and uh, just an all-around fun person to talk to. And we'll be talking about rhyme. Uh, This was a request by one of the CDIM members. She actually wrote to the president of uh, CDIM and uh, asked if there could be a podcast on rhyme and kind of how to use it and what it's about and so forth that she could generate Uh, and send out to her faculty. So that's uh, been done. I interviewed him today, and today is February 4th, 2020. So I'll be posting that in a week or so. And then finally, we have an exciting series on bedside presentations and bedside rounding coming out. I'll drop those podcasts approximately one per week. And believe it or not, I have what looks to be about eight podcasts on this topic. Obviously, it's an area I'm interested in as a clinician educator. The people I'm interviewing, I won't say too much about these interviews at this point. Um, Dr. James Nixon from the University of Minnesota, Dr. Eric Warm, a pioneer in patient-centered bedside rounds. He's at uh, University of Cincinnati. Peter Lickstein, who's at Wake Forest and has just done some very exciting work uh, based stuff um, Macy Grant that he obtained a few years ago uh, to actually change the culture at Wake Forest in the Department of Internal Medicine around bedside rounding. Uh, Jed Gonzalo probably goes without uh, need to introduce him either. He's at Hershey Penn State, widely published guy, uh, wrote uh, some important articles on the art of bedside rounds. Emily Leisure, um, who started out at University of Cincinnati and uh, was over at University of Nebraska, and obviously she's, her husband is in the military, which is why she moved around so much, but, and then is currently at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, 
uh, and a very passionate uh, bedside rounder, uh, Jenny Wright, who will talk to us about exam room presentations and exam room sort of bedside rounds up at the University of Washington in Seattle. I have not done that interview yet. It's I'm doing it tomorrow afternoon, and I'm very excited to speak with her. And then we have Brad Monash, uh, who is a hospitalist. Uh, he is uh, a med-peds trained person and uh, an advocate for bedside rounds. He's done some research in this area at UCSF in San Francisco. And then finally, uh, sort of my most special guest of all, because she's in our own backyard, is uh, Dr. Ashley Mills, uh, who's one of our third-year internal medicine residents. And I'll be talking with her about her opinions and experiences with bedside presentations and bedside rounding, what she thinks of it, whether she does it, whether she thinks it's worth the time. And uh, somewhere... uh, in all these podcasts will be Ashley. I have not decided on the order in which I'm going to drop these podcasts yet. I'm trying to figure out the most logical sequence, and maybe there is none, like many things in my life. Uh, Anyway, so that's it. Without further ado, uh, let's hear from Dr. Justin Bullock, an intern at UCSF with a very bright career ahead of him. Well, today I'm really excited and honored to have Dr. Justin Bullock visiting the Mountain Lion podcast studio via telephone from the University of California, San Francisco Internal Medicine Residency Program. Today we're going to be discussing an article that Justin was first author on, published in Academic Medicine Supplement on Education in November 2019, and that article is called In Pursuit of Honors, a Multi-Institutional Study of Students' Perceptions of Clerkship, Evaluation, and Grading. Additionally, this work was also presented as a poster at the Clerkship Directors of Internal Medicine meeting, also known as CDIM, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in April 2019 by Dr. Cindy Lai, one of Justin's co-authors and the current Clerkship Director of Internal Medicine at UCSF. I should add that this poster was well-received at that meeting and actually took first place in the poster competition. One further disclosure I should make here is that I'm also one of the co-authors on this paper. Um, UC Davis was one of several medical school sites studied in this work, but full disclosure on that is that Justin and his co-authors at UCSF did about, fair to say, 97 or 98% of the the work in bringing this work to fruition and getting it published. Uh, We uh, put our, each of our sites uh, did IRB proposals and got them approved and so forth, but these guys were really the the ones who thought of and executed this study. Um, Justin, would you mind introducing yourself to our podcast audience and telling us where you grew up, where you went to college and medical school, and what your current, uh, I guess, work situation is? Um, 
Excellent. And uh, <clears throat> what what do you like to do when you're not uh, working as a physician? Um, so the first thing is definitely running. I ran track when I was in college um, and have continued to run uh, out here in San Francisco, despite all the hills. Um, so running, um, I started cycling recently, and also just hang out with my co-interns, uh, both inside and outside the hospital. Excellent. And uh, what what distances are you, do you race or do you just um, run? You race? I still, yes, I still race. Um, so in college, I was a middle distance runner, so primarily 800 miles, 3K. Um, I slowly started kind of creeping up, so now I run more 5Ks. Um, I have done a few halves and one full marathon, um, but I'm definitely not a marathoner. Um, although I am going to run a half marathon next weekend. Oh, okay. Where is the half marathon? It's in San Francisco in Golden Gate Park. Uh, it's actually pretty close to my house. Okay. And was your marathon the San Francisco Marathon? Yes. Oh, okay. Excellent. What year did you do it? Um, I did that during my third year of med school. Um, and the rationale behind that was, I started off the year and I had um, surgery and OBGYN first and second, and I was really worried that I was going to have a hard time running. And so by signing up for a marathon, it was my way to force myself to continue to run. And it actually worked. Okay. So I ran the um, San Francisco Marathon. But, um, so I did that at the beginning of my third year of medical school. Um, and my first two rotations were surgery and OBGYN. And I felt pretty worried that I was going to stop running once I started third year. So to try and force myself to run, I decided to sign up for a marathon. Um, and it actually kind of worked. Um, and so I sort of made it through. So, Justin, could you tell me about the rationale for doing this study and um, also about the message you used in the study? Sure. So, we really wanted to capture the student voice in this project. Um, UCSF uh, did a lot of work in uh, sort of assessment. Um, and they tried to sort of listen to students, and we had many town halls on courtship grading, and students were very dissatisfied with, with grading at UCSS. Um, and just from talking with different faculty, um, I had one uh, senior faculty member who, I, when I was first starting this project, he mentioned the fact that the complaints that students have now around courtship grading were the same that, that he had as a medical student 30 years ago. Um, and one of the things that we see as you look through the education literature is that the student voice is really lacking. Um, so we really hoped to, to use this study as an opportunity to accurately and in a very methodologically sound way capture the student perspective on courtship grading. And there were many things that we had many sort of preconceived expectations because we had heard things from students for a long time, but that's never been recorded in the literature. Um, so this project was a multi-institutional study um, at six different medical schools. Um, all the schools were members of the WGA, Western Group on Educational Affairs, um, and it was a survey study. We designed a 106-question survey through uh, many iterations applying students, 
um, talking with different experts in assessment um, and using and in combination with the literature around assessment. Um, and from this survey, um, that uh, I you may have to add out this part. So do you want me to? I can do like I can explain all of like factor analysis and everything, all, all that stuff. Or do you uh, want me to just? No, I'd keep it more. Yeah, yeah less less uh, less specific. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so we designed the survey um, and administered it at the six different sites. Um, and one other thing that we decided to do in this project at the end was to give to create a free response question for students, basically so that they could really openly share whatever they were feeling around clerkship assessment. And it actually ended up being a very powerful part of the study. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and what was the total response rate that you got of the students across the six institutions? Overall, we had a 71% response rate. Um, so a final uh, total of 666 medical students across the six schools. Um, and we were very happy with this response rate. For anyone who's done survey studies, um, a 106-item survey is very long, and often you have a lot of dropout um, the longer the survey goes. Uh, but we really felt that the fact that students were willing to complete the survey meant that they felt very passionate um, feelings around clerkship assessment. Yeah, I think that was certainly the uh, feeling I got over on this end, because I think we had 91% of our students or so. Yeah, yeah, you are the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and one thing we also tried to do with our uh, collaborators on the different institutions is sort of uh, have a little bit of fun competition to try and um, uh, have each um, site PI motivate the students at the institution to complete the survey. So clearly you were very effective <laughs> in doing that. Um, and what were the key findings about student perceptions of clerkship, uh, clerkship evaluation and grading? Um, and just to say before I uh, answer that, so there were really three main purposes of this study. Um, the first was, as you said, to explore student perceptions around the fairness and accuracy of clerkship grading. The second was to explore their perceptions around the clerkship learning environment. And then finally, to examine the relationship between the student perceptions and their performance or the actual number of honors that they got during the third year. Hmm. So just starting off with their perceptions of the fairness and accuracy, um, only 44% of students felt that clerkship grades were fair. Um, only 60% thought that evaluations were accurate. Um, less than two thirds of students felt that they received useful feedback. Um, and overall, students felt that resident evaluations were more fair than attending evaluations. So 70% of students felt that resident evaluations were fair, and around 42% of students thought attending evaluations were fair. Well, that's really um, striking, the difference between their perception of um, resident and attending evaluations. What's your theory behind why that is? As a recent medical student, that is not surprising to me at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's largely due to the fact that students spend much more face-to-face -face time with residents than they do with attendings. Um, and oftentimes, there's even literature to support this, um, 
faculty evaluate students on competencies and tasks that they never actually saw the student do. Um, so a faculty may see a student give an HMP in the morning and sort of from there infer their ability to perform a physical exam without ever actually having witnessed the physical exam of the student. And so because of that, students often feel, often view um, attending evaluations unfavorably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, now, it, one of the fascinating findings in the study to me was that, and I guess not surprising, was that students that, it got, that got honors um, tended to think the grading system was more fair. Is that, is, am I recollecting that correctly? say, and maybe this is one of my many deficits as a medical educator, but I had not heard of stereotype threat um, until um, until being involved in this study. Um, and I was wondering if you could sort of briefly explain what it is and how, why it's important to me- or should be important to medical educators. Um, and many learners talked about 
the different conscious things that they did to try and combat stereotypes. Um, so it is a very prevalent phenomenon. Um, the rates by race range from four um, percent um, of uh, Caucasian students up to eighty-two percent of African American students. And this is data that we are uh, we recently submitted, so it has not been published yet, but hopefully it will soon be out to the world. Now, that is um, very interesting. Um, what are some examples of how these students um, tried to counteract that effect? Yes, that's a great question. I'm gonna see, I have a, a great quote um, that I would love to read because I think the students say it much better than I can. Um, so uh, one student says, I think being Korean, the whole being awkward, being quiet, I felt like I went out of my way with my team to show that I wasn't awkward um, and I wasn't quiet. I made a lot of jokes, made people laugh, was very gregarious. I talked to the attending or tried to, and that didn't work. And like help over food and organize our team social. Um, and I think this is really striking for me to just listen to all the things that this one student is doing that has absolutely nothing to do with learning, just to try and disprove the stereotype that he thinks that other people have about about him. And that's that that is fascinating and so in terms of practical importance to an educator how does knowing about this um, the stereotype threat in medical education how how do i then take this knowledge of this thing and and um and, and sort of act on it or not act on it as the case may be in the learning environment Sort of um, 
a little further afield from the question of stereotype threat and vulnerability is um, I noticed in one of the tables that there seemed there was definitely a spread in terms of numbers of honors that uh, students tended to get at different schools uh, in terms of total percentage. But um, did you find that at schools that had more honors, there was more, say, satisfaction with the with the evaluations and such? That is a good question. Um, the answer is no. We saw that so the range for our students to um, the lowest school, 28% of respondents, respondents received honors in 28% of their clerkships. Um, and at the highest school was 46%. Um, and we essentially saw that student dissatisfaction with clerkship assessment was consistent and pervasive at all institutions. And while some schools used what we call normative grading, where there's a certain cap on the number of honors, um, and other schools use criterion-based grading, where if you hit a certain cut point, then you get honors. That also did not change student satisfaction. Um, and you know, together, we really use this as an argument to say that uh, small changes in clerkship assessment are unlikely to address student concerns. And so we really need to take a step back um, and make much bigger systemic changes to try and improve the issues that we have with, with clerkship grading. Hmm. And from the student perspective, what were the most important factors in determining the final clerkship grade? Yes, so I love this question. Um, we had a question in our survey uh, which Essentially, we asked students to score on a scale of 0 to 10 how important different factors were in determining their final grade. Um, and options for students were things like medical knowledge, medical reasoning skills, the different doctors that they worked with, um, improvement, being liked, rapport with patients and families, etc. And the three most important factors in the eyes of the students to determine their final clerkship grade were being liked, the attendings that they worked with, and the residents that they worked with. And the two least important factors were improvement and rapport with patients and families. And this was very striking because the difference between being liked and improvement was three full points on a 10-point scale, which I think we can very confidently argue is a sort of clinically significant difference. Um, and this is the, the, from the perspective of six, over 660 students at six different medical schools. Um, so really very striking and um, quite frankly a little bit um, disheartening to, to, to see. Yeah, I guess it kind of, um, you sort of get the sense that they perhaps feel like it's a popularity contest more than a lot of other things it should be educationally. Exactly. Exactly. So there were a lot and of... And we really... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, and um, also students really feel that if they're not perfect on day one, then they can't get honors in a rotation. Um, and if that is the message that we're giving to students, um, I think we really sort of 
then are disadvantaging people who don't come from medical backgrounds or people who have others that they can ask, you know, what to do on rotations if, if, if they're being assessed on how they are on the first day. Fascinating. Um, there were, of course, a, a few things that jumped out at me when I was reading this article. But one was that, as you mentioned, uh, that only 44% thought assessment was fair. Um, only 60% felt that assessment was accurate. And the most striking thing to me, though, as a medical educator and a clerkship director, was that only 62% thought feedback received in clerkships was useful. What are your thoughts about this finding? Or, or any of these um, about fairness yeah. and so, so again um, I was personally not particularly surprised um, I think oftentimes students first they get inconsistent feedback their face to face feedback um, is often very different from the feedback the written feedback that, that they are actually evaluated upon and I think that that's very challenging for students because they feel that they never had an opportunity to, to respond or improve on the feedback because they only got positive feedback in person. Um, oftentimes, feedback that that individual is right is um, um, their biases with respect to gender and race. Um, so some other work that actually recently came um, out of UCSF from uh, someone who's now a resident at the University of Chicago, Alexandra Rojek. Um, she did a study looking at narrative evaluations, over 87,000 evaluations, and what she found using machine learning um, computational, I don't really know the full details of how, how, no how the study was, was done, but um, essentially found that while there was no difference in the 10 most commonly used words um, in, for students in evaluations, of the words that showed a gender or race difference, um, women and underrepresented minority students were more likely to, to be described with personality words like pleasant or lovely, while men and non-underrepresented uh, minority students were more likely to, to be described with words like competent, um, uh, sort of describing their, their um, competence, <laughs> um, competent or knowledgeable. That is that is fascinating. Um, so, was there a difference between perceptions of feedback and assessment from faculty as compared with feedback and assessment from residents? Um, I'm actually not. Um, so we only, we definitely had um, separate questions for feedback from residents and from faculty. We did not comment on that in our paper, and that's largely because um, so Pat O'Sullivan, who was one of the co-authors and is really the statistics guru on our, on our paper, he feels that one item cannot tell you, very, one item on a survey cannot mm -hmm. tell you very much, but an entire factor that a collection of multiple items is informative. Um, so I'm actually not, I don't, I don't remember um, the difference between the residents and the faculty okay. for the feedback. Yeah. The, the other thing I was wondering about, Justin, is um, about perceptions of the learning environment when it comes to improvement and mastery as compared with performance. What were your yes. findings there? Yes. So for everyone who I'm sure many of you are already aware of um, learning orientation theory, but um, a mastery-oriented learner is 
someone who learns for the sake of learning. They tend to pursue challenging tasks, persist in the face of setback. They tend to enjoy learning more, have less burnout, overall better well-being. Um, in, in comparison, a performance-oriented learner, um, you have performance approach, which is when you would um, only do things that would make you look good, or performance avoid, which is when you would avoid doing anything that can make you look bad. Uh, and um, performance avoid oriented. Um, and so we're interested to see how students felt about the learning environment, whether it's those mastery oriented or um, performance oriented. And it turns out that students feel that perkships are both highly mastery oriented and performance avoid oriented. And it's very interesting when you think about it because students are saying both courtships want us to learn for the sake of learning, but don't do anything that can make you look dumb. Um, and so they really have to straddle this very challenging line um, to, to try to yeah, both learn and look good for their assessment. Interesting. Did you get a sense of how much sort of cognitive dissonance there is around that issue of trying to be mastery-oriented versus uh, poor performance avoidant or whatever? Yes. So students definitely commented a lot on that in their in the free response question at the end of the survey that I mentioned. They felt that because they didn't reward improvement, it was very hard for students to focus on improvement um, and that they wanted the virtual learning environment to be more mastery-oriented so that they could be, reward, be rewarded for, for, for improving over the you know course of their 8- to 12-week clerkships. Hmm. Um, can you briefly, speaking of the student comments, um, can you briefly describe what you found in your qualitative analysis of student comments? to be, to have 
longitudinal relationships weighed more heavily. Um, so if you work with someone for two days, that should be worth less than working with someone for two weeks. Um, next, as soon as talked about biases, um, these are with respect to differences by clinical site. So um, some people felt that being at the rural site, they were disadvantaged, and other people felt that being at the main site, they were disadvantaged. So there's a little bit of a, a variability of what students said with respect to site. Um, they wanted introverts to not be so severely penalized um, in assessment, and um, they also wanted to um, have their evaluators be trained in implicit biases so that they understood the ways that this could impact their assessment of students. Um, and then the final thing is um, something that I already mentioned a little bit, which is the learner's experience and that they wanted first improved feedback and that they wanted um, clerkship assessment to reward growth. Hmm. Um, so for schools that st still do have clerkship grades, and I I assume it's probably the majority of medical schools um, and, and not pass-fail grades. Um, what are your thoughts on how to move toward more of a sort of improvement-focused uh, evaluation system versus this sort of performance base that's, you know, mm -hmm. poor performance avoidant yeah. versus looking really good and all that? Yeah. <laughs> so, and to answer that, so UCSF recently went to a pass-fail clerkship grading, and one of the, in, in many conversations, one of the things that we talked a lot about was simply removing grades, so making everything pass-fail, but keeping the same assessment system would still leave the same underlying problem. Um, and so even for schools who go to pass-fail, I think, I think everyone needs to change the way that assessment is, is performed. So the first thing is, I agree in many ways with a lot of students, so I think that assessors should be trained to evaluate medical students. Um, as a new resident, I'm now, I now complete evaluations, and um, as of now, you just become a resident, and now you're being qualified to evaluate. Um, but one of the things that the literature shows is that there are limitations to what training can do. You cannot sort of train away all variability between assessors, and that's largely because assessment is a very, especially clinical assessment, is a very context-dependent phenomenon, and, you know, what I can do with a patient who has community-acquired pneumonia may be significantly different from what I could do for a patient who has an upper GI bleed, um, and those are both valid assessments, even if they are significantly different. Um, so I think we also need to increase the number of direct observations. Um, and I think if we do that, that will decrease the pressure on each individual observation. So one of the big stresses for students is that if they are only observed once and they do a bad job, then that's it. Um, mm -hmm. So creating infrastructures in which we are forced to observe and evaluate students frequently um, will we'll sort of decrease the stakes and more data points are always better, um, in my opinion. Um, I think that things like competency committees are very important. 
um, initially um, at my institution, it used to be that not all clerkships had grading um, uh, curricular competency committees, and you know there were always rumors that oh, when you're on this rotation, you need to be at this site because you have to know the clerkship director because that's the only way you're going to get on it. Um, and since um, moving away from that model, where we now have um, a person from each clinical site um, sit on this competence committee, um, I think students feel that that's a more fair way for them to be assessed um, and to have a fair chance at actually getting honors. Hmm. Um, what else? I think, yeah, I'll pause there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you mentioned that UCSF um, went to pass-fail, I, I believe it was, what, January of 2019, so relatively right. recently. Um, did your research, this project that you, that you published here, did it have anything to do with that uh, fairly significant change? So I think I was on the sort of back end. So the movement for Pastel had definitely already begun. Um, and I certainly presented this work to different committees as they were deciding what to do with clerkship grading. Um, and I definitely think that it supported the Pastel movement. Um, but there was a lot of work of a lot of different people um, that highlighted many, many faults with the current grading system, which led to, to the Pastel change. Hmm. And given the fact that a fair number of both clerkship directors and program directors listen to these podcasts, um, I, I'm just wondering about the issue of, I mean, were the, are the, were the students, are, are the students currently concerned about how their dean's letters are going to, are going to look without, you know, the, the honors pass fail or honors high pass at some schools? Um, a great question and sort of was, was the question in determining and you know as we thought about going to pass fail and so the first thing I'll say is we are pass fail in the third year but students still get grades during their fourth year and because our clerkships are now shifted students essentially can do their sub eyes from January until you know July or August um, so they still get still have the opportunity to get a fair number of actual grades um for their residency applications. And the thought behind the decision to keep grades in the first year was a little bit of a controversial one. Some people say it's just sort of kicking the can down the road. Um, but the argument for that model is that when students are fourth years, that's sort of the closest point that they will be to actual interns. So assessing their performance at, at that point will sort of give residency programs the best representation of what the student will look like, you know, as an intern. Um, and at this point, students have all had the opportunity to rotate through all the core clinical rotations. And so hopefully we are decreasing the advantage that people who come from, you know, families with multiple doctors or who have friends who are, you know, higher years would have for third year. Um, that being said, um, I think we are spending a lot of time thinking about the MSPE and how that should look and, you know, what the data from third year will look like because going, simply going to pass fail does not mean that we're not assessing students. We certainly are. And we actually have sort of beefed up 
um, our um, the, the you're collecting more data. Um, the students are now required to get um, these called BBOT bridges is the new, new curriculum bridges brief observation tool, and uh, they're required to get two of those from a supervisor each week, um, and that's from an actual direct observation. Um, and so students are actually getting much more feedback now. Um, so hopefully the MSP can now contain more robust data. Um, and I don't know, I'm not privy to the conversations about exactly what the MSP is going to look like right now, but I definitely think there are some changes that will be made to it. Yeah, that'll, that'll be sort of the crux of it, I guess, because um, you can imagine a situation where a program director might not feel like there's enough information to tell students apart um, versus, right. versus, you know, if done well, um, they could read the MSPE and say, wow, that's really helpful. I feel like I have a handle on what the student would be like in my residency training program. Um, but yeah, that's going to, I imagine that's going to be a challenge, but I guess that's a whole other, whole other podcast (laughs) discussion. Um, so Justin, any last thoughts for our podcast audience about your work in this area? Um, well, well, I guess to say, um, I don't know, please, the right word, but please to the audience that I think this work is in my opinion, very, very fascinating and very important. Um, but I think there are a small number of schools who are doing this type of research, and I think we need this type of stuff to be done at other institutions. Because, um, you know, I always worry about oversampling a very small population of, of, of students. Um, so, you know, I think many other programs or schools would have very useful information that they could contribute to this conversation um and it's fun so i think that uh other people should do it excellent well you know i want to congratulate you on this work um and I think that uh, anyone who listens to this podcast, or uh, in particular, I hope that um, people read this article, because I think for deans, clerkship directors, and um, any faculty in any specialties uh, who are involved in evaluation and assessment should um, really be aware of it. It's a really important article, and it's amazing that um, you're an intern and (laughs) you published this not too long ago. So thank you. Thank you for all that effort, Justin. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's been, it's been fun. All right. Well, it was great to talk to you, and uh, I hope you get your run in today and tomorrow because I know you have a you're on a golden weekend. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, Excellent. You got it. You got a. I already ran today, so I will definitely. Yeah. Okay. It's my final long run before my uh, half marathon. So. All right. Well, good luck in that half marathon, and it was great talking to you, Justin. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye.